This is Out of Office for March 2015. Transitioning to Out of Office Work. Welcome to the Out of Office Podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? Well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks because I'm doing a couple of presentations, a couple of conference keynotes coming up, and uh, it's always nice to get back into that. Very busy by the sounds of it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What about you? Yeah, just steady work at the moment. So um, keeping busy. Lots of interesting projects coming up. Good. Good. So uh, today's topic we're we're talking about. I mean, obviously, this whole podcast is all about out of office work and being able to work. With an out-of-office lifestyle, or managing people who are working an out-of-office lifestyle, but today we're specifically talking about how to make that transition. So, if you're somebody who's working in an office at the moment, and you've taken the opportunity to work out of office, and you've spoken to your boss, and uh, uh, he or she has agreed to it, how do you make that transition? How do you make it a, a true trans, a, a smooth transition? Because it's not always easy to make that adjustment. It's not easy for you. It's not easy for your boss, your manager. It's not necessarily easy. For your colleagues or clients or other people that you work with, either. So today, that's what we're going going to talk about. Um, And if you think about some of the things that happen when you make the transition, so first of all, you're kind of on trial in some cases. So you might be on kind of probation because you have to prove that uh, the out of office work style can be successful for you and for your workplace. Um, Your manager might be a little bit skeptical about it, even if they're on board and they give you the chance to uh, say, "Okay, let's let's give it a go." Um, they might still not be sure how it's going to work because you might be the first person who's doing it or you might be the next person who's doing it and they're always used to you working in an office and interacting with them that way. And of course, your colleagues, uh, your peers, your team members might also be uh, unsure about it and that can range from being a little bit sceptical, they might be nervous about how easy it's going to be to work with you because they've always been able to pop their head over your cubicle. Um, They might feel a bit resentful because you're getting the chance to have what they think is going to be a cruisy kind of lifestyle. Um, And some of them might even be openly hostile about it because they really don't, um, maybe out of jealousy or they don't think it's going to work or because they don't like you and this is another chance for them to uh, dig their heels in and really uh, resist it, resist the chance for you to do that. Uh, so we're going to talk about those things today, Chris. And in fact, you went through this when you started, didn't you? When you first started working out of office, it wasn't something that your manager was necessarily fully on board with. That's right. And it was 15 or 16, oh, 15 years ago, Gihan. So, um, I was on an initial probation period. My manager was on board, but people further up the, the managerial chain weren't. So we had to sort of manage their expectations and start with a trial period. And thankfully, it was successful. So 15 years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah, fantastic. So that's what, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through it in three areas, managing yourself, managing your manager, and then managing your colleagues or the other team members. And broadly... The, the big message that we've got is kind of be sensitive to other people's feelings. And even if you think that they're being irrational and small-minded, uh, it's, your, it's your choice and it's your freedom that you're fighting for here. So take responsibility. So sometimes it might mean that you have to work harder than you need to. It might mean that you have to prove yourself all over again. And with everything you do, be highly professional. So let's start, Chris, with managing yourself. Yeah, so as you say, Gihan, you're the one who's responsible for the success of this transition. And going to focus on you're the one who's actually going to be doing the work so there's some things that you're going to have to be conscious of when you start working out of office and there are some problems a new class of problems that you're going to face when you work out of office compared with the experience that you might be used to when you're working in a traditional 
office environment. So one thing is that some people struggle with the the loneliness that comes from working in isolation. Other people actually thrive on that. I think I'm probably towards that end of the spectrum, but but some people do actually like having others around them. And so if they're working out of office in isolation, then they tend to struggle with that, that loneliness. Also, when you're working in a standard office environment, you've got other people around you who uh, who, who might motivate you. So you, you can see your other colleagues, they're working away and that, that, that sort of thing can be infectious. Your manager, she might be stalking the corridors, keeping an eye on everybody. So that can also motivate you to work. But when you transition to out of office, you don't have those external stimuli that might be motivating you. You're responsible for motivating yourself. One of the other problems that you face is that when you're in in an office, there are all kinds of interruptions and distractions. You've got people coming into your office and perhaps uh, just talking to you, asking you questions. You might be dragged off into meetings that are unnecessary or or too long. Those go away, but they're replaced by a new set of um, interruptions and distractions when you move out of office. So you might have family and friends think, well, Chris is at home today. I might drop in for a coffee or a bit of a chat. Or you might have uh, people doing parcel deliveries, those sorts of things. So you've got a new set of interruptions and distractions to work to, to deal with. And finally, when you're working from home, let's say, there's the risk of overwork. You've got the tool, your tools of trade at your fingertips. Literally, you might be sitting on the couch relaxing, but you've got your tablet, your smartphone there. It's really easy to be tempted to check your work email and, and maybe reply to a few messages. Or your home office is literally a few steps away. So again, that temptation to work all of the hours that are possible is a real problem and something you have to manage. Yep. Okay. So let's look at some of the solutions, Chris. And uh, uh, there's probably a number of things that you can do. And I think the first one is, as you're making the transition, uh, structure your day so it seems as close as possible to what you would be doing in office. So even though you might have that flexibility where you can sleep in or work late, don't take advantage of that flexibility too soon. So start off with having as a familiar environment as possible. And the easiest way to do that is to have the same working hours, at least when you get started. And one of the great things about working working from home or out of office, Kihan, is that you can set up your workspace how you like. You might not have that freedom when you're working in an office. So you can configure it from desktop to doorstop and you can do so in a way that reduces the likelihood of interruptions and distractions. So you can shut down all those um, chat chat clients and email alerts and those sorts of things on your desktop that might interrupt you. You can shut the door of your home office. You can tell your wife and your kids to be quiet and not interrupt you during working hours and let your family know that during working hours, please don't drop in for a coffee. You're, you're supposed to be working. So again, from desktop to doorstop, you can configure things such that you can be really productive and minimize those interruptions and distractions. Yeah, and to avoid some of those um, distractions as well, just make sure that you do set yourself some targets and there could be um, you know, weekly targets, daily targets, monthly targets. And of course, if you're working on projects, you will have some targets and goals um, in place as well, some, some that have been set for you. And the idea is just to make sure that you do know where you're heading so that those interruptions and distractions, which will occur and they'll inevitably occur, even if you, even if you put in some of those um, some of those things that you've talked about, Chris, even with that, if the interruptions occur, at least you know that you're still working towards something and it's, you're more motivated to go back to work quickly. That's right. They can, those, having those targets really helps you with your motivation. And doing the work, getting focused, you can use what uh, we refer to as work sprints. And these are simply repeated cycles, relatively short cycles, where you work intensely for a period, take a break, 
a short break uh, follow, and then follow the next cycle. So work intensely for a period, say 30 to 40 minutes, take a short break. And by doing that, you focus on your work, you learn to block out interruptions and distractions. And also taking those regular breaks helps to keep you mentally fresh, whereas if you work for long stretches, or several hours at a stretch, you can become mentally exhausted and, and uh, lose motivation and lose energy for work. Yeah, and following on from exactly that, Chris, it's um, you take the time to get out of the house or to stand up from your desk and walk around. It's very common in an office environment for those sort of interruptions to happen automatically. And generally, they're not positive for your productivity, but they could be good for your energy. So if somebody comes along and um, knocks on your door or pops your, head over, pops your head over the cubicle, calls you into a meeting or just wants to have a little chat with you or talks about what happens on the weekend, it's an interruption, but it also can get you just re-energized if you stand up and walk around and when you're working at home or you're working out of office it's quite tempting not to do that and as you said you can be working for hours at a stretch which is bad for you it's not good for your productivity either so get out of the room get out of the house go for a walk at lunchtime um, make sure that you finish at a reasonable time of the day and don't don't get yourself stuck in the office for the whole day that's right. And if you're one of those people who do, does struggle with um, isolation, then, yeah, when you get out of the house, you might bump into people in your local neighbourhood and have a bit of a chat as well, and that helps. Yeah, in fact, I did that when I, when I first started working, started running my own business, working from home. I had a coffee machine at home, and I eventually got rid of it because I would find that I'd make my coffee at home and just be at home, whereas being able to get out of the house and walk down the street to get a coffee, even though it cost me more money, was worthwhile just for that, for that purpose. Very good. Okay, so we talked about managing yourself, and those are some of the things that you can do for yourself. And that's probably the biggest area because um, you are the one that's making the biggest transition. So you are probably the one who has to deal with it to the greatest extent. However, you also need to manage your manager. And we're assuming here that your manager is on board because otherwise they wouldn't let you go out of office at all. But just because they're on board doesn't mean that they fully accept the situation. They probably accept it, but they haven't necessarily embraced the situation. So there's some things that you should do to manage your manager. And just remember that they don't get to see you anymore, um, or at least not as frequently. They can't pop around and say hello to you and find out how you're going, uh, what progress you're making. Um, So some of those visual cues that they would use and some of those interpersonal cues are missing. So think about ways that you can that you can replace them with something else. Um, and look, I think the first thing you can do is just be the person who makes and keeps those promises uh, that, that you've got uh, towards, towards reaching your targets because they don't see you working. So they don't, they obviously they assume that you're working, but they don't know how much progress you're making. So you know, make some promises to your manager and say, by the end of today, I will do this. Um, by tomorrow, I'll do this. By the end of the week, I'll do this. And then, of course, make sure that you keep those promises because there's nothing worse than making the promises and then breaking them. And sometimes breaking them by even a small amount can be a big deal. Now, if you say that something's due, that, that if something is due at two o'clock and you say you'll deliver it by two o'clock, and you deliver it by five past two, that might not seem like a lot to you, but it might mean that they don't have it to take into a two o'clock meeting. And uh, if you're working in office, then they might they'll probably come along and um, nudge you and prompt you uh, an hour before, uh, whereas out of office, they're kind of leaving you to your own devices and assuming that you're going to keep those promises. Yeah, 
and part of making and keeping promises is communicating how how much progress you're making towards delivering the things that you've promised to your manager and to your colleagues. So communicate early and often. So as you said, Gihan, your manager, she's not going, she doesn't have those visual cues. She can't see that you're in the office, but she's certainly going to be thinking about what sort of progress you're making and how you're getting on, especially in those early periods when it's a, a new a new way of working. So she's going to want to know that, but she doesn't want to have to go to the additional effort of asking you about it. She wants to know regularly how things are going, how you're going just with the work style itself, as well as the deliverables that you're meant to be that you're meant to be delivering. So provide some regular updates, reach out to her, let her know how things are going as, a, as an update, with the, the kind of status updates that you, might, um, that you might communicate. Also, if you encounter any problems, then let her know sooner rather than later and also think about some possible ways of dealing with them so you've got some options for, for tackling those issues. And also... Uh, you're not in the office. You might be used to dropping in on dropping in on her and just communicating that way. But rather than interrupting her with those communications, use deferred tools. So something like email, where you send an update and she can uh, read that at her leisure, rather than interrupting her as a way of communicating. Especially if you're doing this often. And I think that that whole combination of things you talked about, Chris, is really important because you say use deferred tools, which is great because then she doesn't get interrupted. But equally. If you're using the deferred tools, you also want to say, here, this problem's come up and here's some possible options and maybe even say, look, I'm going to do this. If uh, I'm going to choose option A, um, but if I don't hear from you by this time, but please feel free to get back to me before that. Yeah. And it's just a different way of thinking because you wouldn't do that if you were going to walk up and have a chat with her. You might say, okay, I've come up with these three options. I'm going to do option A. Which one do you recommend? Whereas you might not think of doing it that way if you're using, you're sending her an email and saying, okay, I'm going to go with this unless I hear back me by this time. Um, so it's, it is a really different way of thinking. And um, the other thing you can do is set up some rules for how you're going to communicate. And you might say that most of the time you're going to communicate with deferred tools, but you know you might set up a little protocol that says every morning at 8.15, we're going to have a five-minute Skype call. Or it might be that um, by the end of at the end of each day, you might have a shared spreadsheet somewhere in the cloud, and you're going to update the spreadsheet with your status and what you've done for the day. So setting up some of those rules just means that the transition is a little bit easier because you know, she doesn't have to keep checking up on you all the time. She doesn't have to keep asking you for a status update and vice versa. You don't have to spend a lot of time doing that. And just remember that this is something that you might think, oh, well, the organization should be setting up those systems for for us to make that happen. But take the initiative and, and make it your responsibility to set up those sort of things um, put yourself in your manager's shoes and think what can make it easier for them. Uh, because remember, I mean, they, they have so many other things to do anyway. And managing an out-of-office worker is just one extra thing uh, to add to their plate. And if you can take that burden away from them and show that you've got the initiative to demonstrate that you're thinking from their point of view as well as your own, it just makes the transition so much easier and it increases the chances that, that you can then transition away from this rigid structure that we're talking about. Yeah, very good. So that's your manager. Now, the last group of people that we're going to talk about today are the people that you work alongside, your colleagues and, and your clients as well. So they're going to, as you said at the start, Gihan, they're possibly going to be anywhere from sceptical to openly hostile towards <laughs> this transition that you're making to out-of-office work. Um, 
And at the very least, they might think, oh, Chris is getting this benefit, all this flexibility of working out of office. And at the same time, that's going to impinge on the way that I work. I'm going to have to, this is going to be an additional burden for me. So at the very least, you want to reduce or completely eliminate uh, any evidence that you've, you've burdened them with your new work style. Um, so one of the ways that you can do this, and we, we talked about it in a different context earlier, is to start out with working hours that are fairly similar to the working hours that you had when you worked in the office. So that means that your colleagues can reach out to you and expect a response in a fairly short turnaround time. And similarly, if you need things from your colleagues, then you're pretty much working the same hours together. And that means that there's, there's less disconnect between the two of you and it's, it's less, of a, less problems will arise, at least in the initial transition to out-of-office work. And I, th- I think you used a really good phrase there earlier, Chris. You said you want to remove any evidence of a burden. <laughs> and it's not that you're trying to sweep things under the carpet or hide things. It's simply that um, when you're out of sight, it's not necessarily that you're out of mind. It's just that people might think the worst of you. So if you don't respond quickly to something, then they don't know whether it's because you're working on something else or because you've just goofed off for the for the day. And you know, they, they, they have no feedback and no way of measuring when you're going to get back to them. So especially with being responsive, be really super responsive and even break some of the rules that we've talked about earlier. Like we've talked about the fact that email shouldn't be used for immediate or urgent communication. But if someone sends you an urgent email, it may just be that they're just doing it because they haven't really thought about the fact that it shouldn't be used for urgent stuff. So respond as if it was a text message or a, or someone picking up the phone and talking to you. So just be super responsive to start with because it just gets people into the, um, into the mindset of thinking, oh yeah, you know, he's not at, he's not in the office, but he's still pretty responsive. So I can, I can be more comfortable. Uh, and then you might relax it a little bit later, but to start off with, just make it as, um, as seamless as possible for them by being really responsive. Yeah, and and working in a team uh, is is often is, all, is almost always about trust. And when you're working in a team in an office, you get to know each other on not just a professional basis, but also on a personal basis. So you chat to each other about what you did on the weekend or the previous evening, and so you you build trust on both professional and personal levels. Now, when you move to an out-of-office scenario, people still know you. They, they know you on a personal level because they used to know you when you worked in the office. But they're, they're, the tr- your trust is going to be challenged by this, this new circumstance. And we talked about making and keeping promises with your manager. And in the same way, make and keep promises with your teammates. And that's a way that you, they can build on and retain the trust that they had on, had in you when you worked together in an office. So in the same way as you're making and keeping promises with your manager, have clear clear specifications of the things that you're going to deliver, make sure and have timelines as well and make sure you deliver them on time. Uh, and in the same way, you want to be super responsive, try and deliver uh, much earlier than those, um, those agreed timelines as well. Yeah, that's right. But at, at the very least, make sure that you keep your, keep your promises and meet the deadlines. And especially because, and come back to the point, you, you don't, uh, just as much as they don't know what you're doing when you're out of office, you don't know what they're doing either. So if somebody asks for something by a particular time, um, they're asking for it for a reason. And if you're in the office, you might know what that reason is. And if you're out of office, you're a little bit out of the loop. So um, just try to make sure that uh, the bits that you can control, are the deadlines that you've agreed to, that you follow through with them. 
Um, and the, the other thing I'd say is, if possible, come back to the office from time to time. So if you're a semi-commuter, which means that you're part-time in the office and part-time out of office, that's kind of the ideal transition. It may not be ideal for you because you might like to have just one workspace and work from one place all the time, but it's it's kind of helpful for your colleagues and your manager as well because they can schedule meetings on the days that you're in the office and they can take that take those opportunities to chat to you or you might collaborate more closely with them when you're in the office and it's not that you can't collaborate at other times it's not that you can't do online meetings it's just that they're not used to it so you can start off by doing stuff in the office so you so do drop into the office if you can and even on your uh, out of office days if there's a meeting and it's you know it's not too inconvenient for you then come into the office so that you can attend the meeting in person at least to start with because at least then it shows that a you're making an effort and b for them it's not too much of a it's not too much of a difference from what they were used to and um, just be careful of not just dropping into the office randomly and spending half an hour just chatting to people and and wasting people's time because uh, obviously your manager won't like it and and they won't appreciate it either they don't want to see um Gihan is a person who just drops in from time to time when he's goofing off and um having a coffee break or um at the end of a long boozy lunch he's just going to drop into the office just to chat and waste people's time so you do want to make it productive um but also take the opportunity to drop in um, and the other thing you can do is if there are regular kind of semi social events then you can drop in for that as well so you know like if every if you know that every tuesday uh, everyone goes down to the to the local italian restaurant and has the 12 dollar lunch uh, and you can join them for that then do that it it gives you the chance to keep that camaraderie and those social interactions going um we used to have this uh, every uh, the first company i worked for every friday night at five o'clock we'd stop for drinks and uh, drinks and bickies and uh, some people would still continue working at their desk and others would just convene in the in the coffee room and uh, and just have a little bit of a couple of hours of social time and if you're an out of office worker you might choose to come along and you might choose to come along you know at 3:00 on Friday get a couple of hours productive work done in the in the office and then uh, it naturally flows onto the social events so as much as possible uh, especially when you're doing this transition try to keep some of those traditions going as well uh, by, by actually being physically in the office very good. So there you have it, uh, managing yourself, your manager and your colleagues as part of transitioning to out-of-office work. Um, I think one of the key messages, Gihan, is that to make out-of-office work successful, you have to take responsibility for your work style. And I think it's never more true than in this transition phase. It's really you really have to grab the bull by the horns and be the one that makes the transition successful. And if you can do that, then I think you're the kind of person that's going to find success uh, in maturing your out-of-office um, working style. Um, so, yeah, take ownership from, from the get-go. And if you can do that, then you're setting yourself up for a really successful out-of-office career. Yeah, and it, it seems like we've kind of taken the very pessimistic view here, Chris. So we're kind of saying that, okay, you want to do it. Your manager's kind of on board. Your colleagues might be on board. And it might be that you're part of an office environment where lots of people do out-of-office work and that that's seen as normal rather than exceptional. But and we'd rather kind of take the approach that you're a little bit of a trailblazer here. You might you might face a few challenges um, and that's probably a better way to work. And if it if it turns out that it's all easier than that, then great, that's a bonus for you. Uh, but if you're if it's not that, if you're the person who's doing it first, or maybe not the first, but it's still rare, uh, or certainly not the norm, then just don't be too hard on yourself as you're doing this. As you're making this transition, don't be too hard on yourself. 
Don't be too hard on your manager. Don't be too hard on your colleagues. It is a challenging transition for everybody, especially if they're not used to it. Um, and the real difference between you and everybody else who's involved in this is that everybody else doesn't have the same motivation as you do. Uh, you know, for, for your manager and for your colleagues, if you find if they find that out of office work for you is too difficult and you're forced to come back into the office, they're probably happier. Whereas for you, it might actually be a negative for you to come back into the office. So you've really got a strong motivation. So uh, be more tolerant than they are. Be more understanding than they are. Be more generous in spirit and in time and in effort than everybody else so you can make a smooth transition. Yeah. And uh, if you need some more advice on these sorts of things, Gihan, so this is the transition. Once you've established established yourself as an out-of-office worker, where can people find out the information they need? Yeah, so you should definitely go to our website, which is outofofficebook.com. Uh, you can buy a copy of the book, the Out of Office book. You can listen to um, this podcast episode again, as well as all our past podcast episodes, and also read the Out of Office blog. So that's all available at outofofficebook.com. And uh, if you've successfully made the transition to out-of-office work, like Gihan and I have, uh, we'd be interested in hearing from you. So you can leave a comment on the blog post associated with this this particular podcast or any of the other blog posts that we have in the out-of-office book blog. Um, so it remains for me to thank you, Gihan, for your time. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And we'll speak again in about a month's time on another topic related to out-of-office work. Great. Thanks, Chris. Bye for now. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.